Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. Oh! Welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm your host, Brendan Glasheen, joined by Sean Zarillo, Action Network senior writer, and Billy Ward, our MMA analyst. Yep, that's right. UFC betting preview. We're not taking any breaks after an electric weekend of uh, action at UFC 291 in Salt Lake City. We're right back at it for UFC Nashville from the Bridgestone Arena in Tennessee. Six fights on the main card, six prelims. You can catch all of the action on ESPN, so you can watch all the fights, the ESPN family of networks. We're looking at underdogs, props, and more. We'll get to best bets before we leave. As we normally do, we will start with the main event. It's a top 10 matchup, two title contenders, Corey Sandhagen and Rob Font. Sandhagen Zarillo is the favorite over at FanDuel, minus 370. Uh, minus three, it's down to minus 355, actually, at FanDuel. Rob Font, as we record on a Friday morning, at plus 270. So when you break this one down, uh, let's assess the fight first, and how would you like to bet it? Yeah, so first of all, this is taking place at 140-pound catchweight. And I'm trying to decipher who I think that that helps more. I think it certainly helps the cardio for both guys. Um, And maybe in terms of overall strength, it might help Corey Sandhagen a bit just because he's the taller guy. And it seems like he might have to cut a little bit more weight, typically in order to make 135 pounds. So not necessarily sure who I think the catchweight is going to benefit, but just worth noting both of these guys typically cut to 135, don't have to cut quite as much weight in terms of Saturday's fight, which should help both their durability and their cardio. Now, both guys in general have elite cardio to begin with, and they're elite output offensive strikers who tend to outland their opponents by about two to two and a half strikes per minute. So across a 25-minute kickboxing fight, I think this could be very close. Rob Font is the better boxer, fights behind a jab. And he has a one-inch reach advantage here. So he's going to be able to stick that jab in Corey Sanhagen's face. While he's doing so, Corey's going to be trying to set up kicks, set up some dynamic strike attempts, flying knees, spinning kicks. Uh, So Corey, the more dynamic striker, the more diverse striker. But I think Rob's technique is just slightly more refined, and especially when they're standing in the pocket. And as they go down the stretch and they're getting a little bit tired, I trust Rob's style in terms of landing head strikes backing Corey up, landing counters as Corey's coming in. I actually just think Rob in general has the better boxing and the better hands. And in terms of playing to the judges and giving them good optics for damage, he might hit a little bit harder too. So Rob Font can make this fight very close if they're going to be kickboxing for 25 minutes. I think the reason why you see Corey Sandhagen favored so drastically could be the grappling upside. We've seen him grapple more in the past offensively, wrestle his opponents, get him down to the ground, use the cage push put him up against the fence as he did with Cheeto Vera. So there's a potential that Corey Sanhagen could dominate minutes here with the grappling, but I think Rob Font is a good grappler too. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he lands offensive takedowns of his own or gets top time either. And I actually prefer his offensive submission game. So Rob Font has a number of ways to win this fight considering his price tag, but mostly if this one goes to a full 25 minutes, I think he's probably a 40% underdog at worst. If not, this fight should be a pick'em. So in the decision-only market, 
You can get Rob Font at about plus 225. I believe Corey Sanhagen is minus 300. Kind of similar to their money line pricing. Strongly disagree with that. I give Sanhagen more finishing upside. I think Font has just as much, if not more, decision equity. So Font decision only, plus 225, how I'm betting this. I'm also considering, though, just taking his money line straight up. All right, very good. And you noted the heights, Sandhagen 5'11", Font 5'8". And as Zarillo noted, some edges potentially for Font and how he might approach uh, Sandhagen. Billy, how about yourself? Billy Ward is the author of the UFC Luck Ratings. He's got some breakdowns of other fights as well on the Action app, actionnetwork.com. How do you see this one playing out, Billy, and how would you like to bet it? Yeah, I... I would 100% agree with Zerillo if this was a normal fight where they both had a full training camp and there weren't some other factors here. You know, Sean mentioned that it was a 140-pound catchweight. The reason it's a 140-pound catchweight is Corey Sandhagen was originally supposed to fight Umar Nurmagomedov. Umar pulled out. Rob Font was supposed to fight two weeks from now at UFC 292. They moved him up to this card, and then they gave him the extra five pounds. I think that weight cut benefits Sandhagen for that reason because Font in terms of actual water cut, is probably cutting about the same amount he normally does. In those next two weeks, he would have lost about five more pounds of body weight. So the water cut isn't any lesser for Font than it would be in a normal fight. Sandhagen was preparing to make 135 this event anyway. He just gets an extra five pounds to play with and feel better about. So that one is one for Sandhagen. Also, Font was originally preparing for a three-round fight. This is a five-round fight because it's a main event. He does have good cardio, generally speaking, but that's a lot. That makes it tough between the weight and, you know, moving when you're peaking for your training camp and all that stuff. I don't really like that, but I do like his skill set for many of the reasons Zerillo said. So I'm going to take a small sprinkle sprinkle at Rob Font in round one. He's won two of his last three wins with first round knockouts. I think he's the much more powerful striker here, where if Sandhagen gets a finish, it's going to be volume down the stretch. I also like under four and a half at minus 118 kind of similar to a lot of the reasons Rilla said, just these guys put on such an output that I don't think Font is able to go 25 minutes if he doesn't get the finish early. You know, late stoppage from Sanhagen, cuts, just kind of beating him up, wearing him down over three, four, five rounds. That's how I see this one playing out if Font doesn't stop it. Obviously, you know, Font round one is plus 1,900. I'm not saying about a full unit on this. Little sprinkle there, and then, you know, maybe half a unit or bet to win half a unit on the under, just because I don't think Font's cardio is able to hold up the whole time if he doesn't get an early finish. And if I'm Rob Font or in Rob Font's camp, I'm saying, let's go out there, finish this one in the first couple of rounds. We know we probably don't have 25 minutes of gas tank this time. One more point I want to make uh, just regards to damage in Font's face and Billy betting the under. So I had initially leaned to the under, the over here and that goes the distance. The reason why I didn't bet it, rewatching the Adrian Nunez fight with Rob Font. He has a lot of scar tissue under his eyes and he got hit like twice from Adrian Nunez and his eye ballooned up immediately. Uh, I think there's a strong chance, especially over the course of 25 minutes with both of these guys throwing a lot of strikes that there is a, a damage based vision doctor stoppage for Rob font, just damage around that eye. It seems like he just hasn't given his face a ton of time to heal up or, I mean, he took a year off before the Adrian Nunez fight. So, you know, his face got melted in the Marlon Vera fight. He got knocked down multiple times. It seemed like every time he was getting touched to the end of the fight, his face was breaking. Um, and then it immediately swelled up in three minutes against Adrian Nunez. So I think a a doctor stoppage is actually very possible here too. And that factored into my analysis in terms of betting the the under the over and why passing the over. So yeah, I would agree with Billy on leaning to the under. I think the pace will be high, similar to the Gaethje Poye fight. 
you know, very high pace, lots of striking volume. Two guys who are somewhat durable. I don't believe either has ever been knocked out, but Fab has been, Font has been clubbing subs. Uh, he's been knocked down in the past. So he's the less durable guy. And I think that's another reason why Corey's favorite. And, and Sanhagen is, oh, San is a guy with, you know, long elbows, long knees, long limbs, who cuts people. Like he has a, two fights ago, he stopped Song Yudong via cut. Like yeah. that's very much part of his game plan all the time. I would imagine, especially so knowing you fight a guy like Font who wears that damage pretty poorly. Zerillo, any thought or responsibility about the the schedule change and how Font had to kind of get thrown into this? He was supposed to fight two weeks from now, but that's not happening. No, that's why, you know, that's why I'd link to the cardio advantage for Sanhagen okay. uh, on top of the fact that he's also a few years younger, too. Um, right. But for, 36 I mean, Font, versus 31. Font set a record number of strikes in his 25-minute fight against Jose Aldo, but he was knocked down or wobbled multiple times throughout that fight. And even though he had the biggest striking discrepancy ever in a 25-minute loss and maintained that volume across 25 minutes, the optics thing is a bit weird with him. He gets doesn't present the best body language for the judges at times. He doesn't wear damage on his face particularly well. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons on top of, as Billy said, the fact that his schedule changed, whereas Sanhagen's still on the same schedule, uh, that would favor Sanhagen. I just, I, I'm pretty convinced if it does go 25 minutes, it's going to look closer than minus 300 and plus 225. So that's why I'm going with the decision only market. Just because I know, I pretty much know for a fact, if Font is surviving 25 minutes, it means he made this competitive. Okay, very good. Let's move on to underdogs. Uh, Zarillo, I think you've got a couple that you've targeted. Overall, I would imagine if you've got multiple dogs that you might think this is a good week for dogs at UFC Nashville. Yeah, I think this is a good week for underdogs and a good week for live betting. The reason why I wanted to mention Howney Barcellos at plus 175 is because there's so many reasons why I should not be making this kind of a bet. He's eight years older. We talk about the age discrepancy factor all the time. So probably overvalued in the market. Uh, he's fighting a guy who is faster than him, who probably has the grappling upside in theory. And also he was coming off of a very bad knockout loss after not being knocked out in his career. And he's he's old for the 135 pound division. So there's a lot of reasons why I should not be betting County Barcellos. I do think his opponent though, Kyler Phillips is a bit overrated based off of his past wins, his past record. He also tends to gas out after about seven to 10 minutes because he's very explosive and does a lot of stuff. But I think Howdy is actually, if he's still there and he's not fallen off of a cliff athletically, I think he's actually the perfect kryptonite for somebody with Phillips insane style. Howdy Barcellos is one of the most well-rounded mixed martial artists to ever enter the UFC. He just came over to MMA pretty late, but he's a Brazilian national wrestling champion. And a lot of these guys who have, great jujitsu or not good wrestlers. Hany Barcellos actually can combine the wrestling with the grappling. So even though Phillips in theory has the grappling upside, I think Hany Barcellos is the better grappler. I think the striking is going to be competitive. Phillips probably has more volume, but Hany has more power. So yeah, this to me, plus 175, a bet that I was a bit skeptical to make based on all the factors I laid out initially, but the skill discrepancy, I think Hany is actually the better fighter. So plus 175, a bet I made, not a bet I love, based on the age, the reach, etc. cetera. Uh, and then the other underdog who I like, before we get to my best bet later, is Alexa Kamor at plus 135. Limited MMA experience, only eight fights, going against Tanner Bozer, who dropped down from heavyweight in his last fight and was knocked out by Ian Kudalaba, and he just looks so slow and so fragile. I think the biggest advantage Bozer had at heavyweight was 
speed to a degree because he was on the smaller side for heavyweight, but mostly his cardio. And now cutting down to 205, taking that stamina somewhat to a degree out of himself, taking that durability away to a degree, going against guys who have a comparable level of power as he does. And arguably, I'd say Kamer has the faster hand. So give me Kamer plus 135. Not really sure if Bozer is going to be able to take a punch at all at 205. He wasn't in his last fight. Maybe able to here, but I don't think his cardio is going to hold up as well as it did either, even if he does. Gamer's number down to plus 134 at FanDuel. Billy, I know you don't have a, a pick on this necessarily, but you actually think Bozer is undervalued based on your luck ratings right up. Just curious your response to that. Yeah, I do a little bit. It's more that I'm projecting him to have made more improvements as he gets used to the weight class at 205. Sure. I'm a fan of some of these kind of like chubby out of shape heavyweights actually putting in the work and cutting to 205. I, I think it forces them to train harder, right? Because they're not the guy who can just skip cardio, eat whatever he wants, all that stuff that they used to be. <laughs> and yeah, he didn't look great the first one, but he was thrown to an absolute murderer in Kutalaba. And, you know, maybe that weight cut the first time didn't go as well as we can expect it to go the next couple of times. So I'm not betting this one. I wasn't able to convince myself on Bozer, but I really want to believe if that makes sense. Like I'm not quite there yet, but I, I want good things. I want him to be rewarded for putting in the work to go to 205. And then one more thing on Barcelos, because Zerlo did convince me there. I think this is the only fight on the card that is actually favored to go to a decision. Mm. And if we expect a decision, we always want the underdog ticket. Like, like you were saying with Font, I don't want to be holding a minus money ticket in a fight that went to a decision because most of the time it was probably somewhat competitive. So I was convinced on one. You convinced me to not bet on Bozier on the other, if that helps. So, but I'm not quite there. Barcelo's decision of prop I like as well. That'll be in round robins for me. Bill, we're going to talk about props in a minute. Billy is one that I like that's going to be in round robins, but also uh, Barcelo's by decision will be in there too. Okay, Billy. So what dog did you land on for UFC Nashville? Yeah, I, I kind of disagreed with Sean in that I didn't think this was a great card for underdogs. I don't really love any of them. The one that I do is Damon Jackson fighting Billy Quarantillo. My favorite bet on this is Quarantillo live if he goes to plus money at any point. But I think Damon Jackson, skill for skill, is actually probably better across the board than Billy Quarantillo. Quarantillo's best attribute is his volume and his cardio, which is great, but we'd like to have volume and cardio and being really good at something. Jackson's kind of a fast starter and he's been better when he comes out early and comes out hot. So the way I see it is very aggressive first round from Jackson. You know, he's kind of winging some punches, using that as entries to get takedowns, whatever. If he doesn't finish him or doesn't hurt him pretty bad, then it's probably going to slowly go the other way against him. So I like having that pre-fight ticket on Jackson, then hedging it off with Quarantillo if he can get him at plus money. One stat I did find out looking up this fight though Billy Quarantillo is 5-0 and in UFC fights where he gets a takedown. He is 0-3 in fights where he doesn't. And Jackson is enough of a submission threat that I don't know that he'll want to get a takedown, and he's a good enough grappler that he might not be able to. I, I have more doubts about his desire than his ability here, but that's a scary thought if you're on the Billy Quarantillo side. But ideally, we end up holding plus money tickets on both guys six minutes into this fight. All right, let's dive into the fight of the night. We have Kennedy in Zechaku taking on Dustin Jacoby. Jacoby's the dog at plus 132. In at minus 162. Billy, let's go to you first on this one. How do you assess the fight here and potentially why in might be worth laying the juice on? 
Yeah, this is kind of a fun one for fight of the night. The co-main event is a very wide line, so this felt like the obvious choice. And it's just two big, strong, aggressive strikers going at it in Kennedy, Nezuchukwu, and Dustin Jacoby. Jacoby, I think he started as an MMA fighter, then took a break and had some success in kickboxing and then came back, which is not the path we normally see. Normally, it's you start in kickboxing and then kind of find your way here. But regardless, definitely has the kickboxing chops. But Nezuchukwu is huge, very athletic, and then has some sneaky submission skills in there. So... The one thing I noticed is Jacoby has fought two straight southpaws and didn't do well against either of them. His two-fight losing streak is mostly against southpaws. The other big point for Nezuchukwu on the money line is Jacoby is pretty tall and pretty long for the division, but he's the shorter and less reach person this fight. I don't think it's a big deal with fighters who are always the shorter guy when they have to fight someone tall. Like Volkanovski is a great example. He's almost always shorter, so that's his game. His game is based on getting inside. His game is based on dealing with the reach edge. But fighters who are used to having that in their favor and all of a sudden thrown into a fight where it's not, that's a big challenge for him. Really don't like it. On the same token, he's very, very durable. I think the prevailing wisdom here is that it's probably a knockout one way or the other. I like a little bit of a sprinkle on Nezuchukwu by decision, but the line has dropped enough at minus 150 that I think the money line is the better play here. I think he's going to stay at range. I think he's going to win the front foot battle, which Jacoby struggled with in both of his last two fights. Just kind of out-touch him at range. And Jacoby will have a hard time getting close because that's when those guillotines and front headlocks and all those submission threats come into play. So that's how I'm seeing it. I like the. I think he's minus 150 is the best money line odds and then plus yeah. 225 or so on the decision. Zarillo, Kennedy and Zechukwu has a seven-inch reach advantage uh, in this particular matchup. And then we talked about reach when we discussed the main event. Um, you don't have as much of a, a lean on this fight, but from what you gathered from Billy and what you've put together, how would you like to bet uh, this particular matchup, this light heavyweight matchup? Yeah, my my strongest lean is the, the fight to end inside the distance at minus 125. Justin Jacoby is a pretty durable guy, and he also doesn't necessarily step on the gas either offensively. Uh, he tends to be more of a point fighter, likes to kick the leg, win minutes. He's a good minute winner. Um, and that's why, you know, in terms of the winning method props, I'd sort of lean to either Jacoby by decision at plus 310 or Kennedy inside the distance at plus 175. I thought in his last fight, two degree, Jacoby looked a little bit declined athletically. He's getting up there in fights, looks a little bit slower. Um, you know, Billy mentioned the kickboxing experience too. So you tack all those kickboxing fights onto 26 MMA fights and you have 50 professional fights across your career that's a lot of damage kennedy and jechukwu only 15 fights still improving younger um southpaws billy mentioned which gives him a slight advantage too but also the huge reach advantage which he typically has over his opponents he doesn't make the best use of its reach advantage typically doesn't fight behind like a long jab or you know use a lot of teeth kicks or anything but i think he is improving as a fighter uh, and where we really see his length come into play is on the ground when he is able to use his long arms to wrap up opponents up against the fence, drag them down. And then once he gets on top of people, it seems like he actually does leverage his length really well from there with elbows. Um, he's able to break through, you know, fighters' defenses actually pretty well because he can sort of like just launch these elbows, you know, when he's when he's in guard that he has this extra reach with that most people don't because his upper body is so long, so... Uh, yeah, I think I think Kennedy is uh, probably the right side here. Not going to be betting it on the money line. As I said, I'm probably leaning to either betting the ends inside the distance at minus 125 or Kennedy to win inside the distance at plus 175. His submission line 
also interests me as well. I think the biggest advantage for either fighter here is Kennedy offensively grappling. If he's able to get on top, I think it might be the fight. So Kennedy by submission interests me, uh, but probably just betting inside the distance or fight can inside the distance if I play it. Uh, as of now, I'm leaning towards the pass. I think this fight is probably correctly lined. Billy, what was your experience against Southpaws? Not a ton because most of my fights devolved into grappling one way or the other. Either I forced it or a guy took me down. But I, I didn't like it. I also, honestly, the bigger thing from my personal experience is I had a few fights at 155 at one point in my career. So I kind of got used to being the taller, longer guy. I'm about mm. six foot. And then I ran into a 55er who was taller than me and just couldn't get inside, couldn't make anything work. And then coming up to 170, I fought multiple guys, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and it just drove me crazy. Like, I just had no ability to get inside that reach. And that's because I was someone who is used to being taller, right? Again, if you're, you know, a 5'8", stocky wrestler, your whole game is getting inside. So I really think that's a big factor for Jacoby. I agree with Sean that Nezichukwu doesn't use it as well as I would like, but he doesn't have to be perfect at it, right? He's just got to get something out of that reach advantage for it to work in our favor here. He's still great. I mean, he's still... 15 fights into his MMA career. He's most of that honestly has taken place in the UFC. Uh, more than half of his MMA fights have taken place in the UFC. He trains with a good camp down in Texas. I still think he's improving. I think he's an interesting prospect. Um, I don't think he's the most durable guy either though. That's, that's why the, you know, the fight tend inside the distance interests me. It, Jacoby, not the biggest hitter, but I could see him folding up Kennedy. All right. Call man defense. Kennedy 12 and three in his 15 fights. Um, I wanted to get the Southpaw perspective because it is kind of a rare spot. You just kind of highlighted that because you didn't have much experience with it. So just curious. Uh, moving on to the prop market. 12 fights on the cards are low. Where where do we land this week? Yeah, I like the fact that we're in the bigger cage in Nashville as opposed to being in the Apex, where I initially thought this card was when I was handicapping it. Uh, so Ignacio Bahamondes and Ludovic Klein fight to go to a decision at minus 120. Being in the big cage should help them. This should mostly be an outside mid-tempo kickboxing match. Um, Klein is the better grappler here, but he likes to fire basically the same combination, one-two head kick. Um, he has a really nice head kick. He's going to have a tough time landing it against a guy who's six inches taller than him, and he's at a three-inch reach discrepancy. So he might have the better hands, but he's going to have difficulty getting inside. He's probably going to look to grapple if he does get inside. And I expect a lot of this fight to just be Bahamondes working on the outside, kicking him, Klein trying to get to him with his hands, being unable to, and then kicking him back. And I think we see a lot of low kicks, a lot of body kicks, maybe some flashy strikes. Maybe there's you know a moment or two where this gets scary, but this to me has all the makings of a, a relatively low pop pace kickboxing match or uh time spent where Klein is is you know killing the clock trying to get him to the ground pressing him up against the cage trying to switch to a takedown on the hips and not being able to get it or getting it and potentially getting him down but even if he does I don't think he's some you know elite submission grappler who's going to finish the fight at a high clip so uh yeah I, I don't see massive knockout power on either side both of them are more so attritional finishers and they're both pretty durable and have decent cardio too so it seems like the the path to a finish that either would typically take, which is more of an attritional-based stoppage or just that flash KO from Klein via the head kick, it's going to be difficult to find those against their opponent. So uh, Bahamondes Klein, fight to go to decision, minus 120, projected this closer to minus 150. And then briefly, I just want to mention the co-main event that Billy talked about earlier. 
uh, Jessica Andrade, Tatiana Suarez. I like the unders in that matchup. Under one and a half, minus 105. Under two and a half, minus 200. It, it's just very, a very binary fight. Um, Suarez should be able to land takedowns, take the back submitter. If she doesn't, I think there's a chance she gasses out hard and Andrade potentially lands a comeback KO. So fight to end inside the distance in the main event, or code main event, I should say, between Andrade and Suarez, betting it under two and a half, under one and a half. And then Bahamut is inclined. Fight to go to a decision at minus 120, my favorite props. UFC Nashville prop market. Billy, where are we landing this week for a prop? Yeah, before I get to mine, just love Sean's uh, pick on Baja Mondays. Unlike Kennedy Nezuchukwu mm-hmm. and tons of other fighters, uses his height really well, I yeah. would say. Like, works behind a long jab, keeps people away. And it's just so frustrating for the opponent there, especially someone who wants to grapple because it's hard to grapple while being punched in the face repeatedly. So, yeah, but... um. I'm but looking it's at a great, Diego... it's a great point fighting style, right? That's going to lead yes. to longer fights, less aggression. Even when he hurts his opponents, he's very patient. You know, he's happy to stay on that outside game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm sure you'd agree with that, Billy. Like that, that kind of point fighting style, the guys who use their length, the guys who are able to keep distance from their opponents, it's a safer style and going to lead to more decisions. Definitely. And it's the rare fighter who uses length well and also hunts for finishes. You know, we see it everyone guys like John Jones, but they're, they're one in a million, right? That's there's only one John Jones for a reason. <laughs> but, uh, so, so on my top prop, I probably in our little document here switched this back and forth five or six times between inside the distance and submission before I settled on it. But I'm going to go with officially Diego Lopez inside the distance. Diego Lopez is the archetype of something we talked about with Basil Hafez a couple weeks ago, where he did not win his UFC debut, but he is one and zero in the moral win loss record. Because he put on a great performance on short notice against Mazvar Ivalev, almost tapped him out a couple times with submissions, had him in a deep armbar, worked for some leg stuff, but he also almost finished him a couple times with some strikes. He landed some big shots on Avoyev, one of the best fighters in the division. Diego Lopez is the Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach for Alexis Grasso, Alexa Grasso and Irene Aldana. Just unmatched, you know, submission grappling props here. But he's kind of got that old school Brazilian fighter vibe where he's swinging real hard. And then if it doesn't work, we're going to try to grapple rather than try to point fight you work for takedowns. No, he's just he's swinging it almost. You know, Charles Oliveira is another example of that. Getting him at plus money against Gavin Tucker, I think, is pretty offline. I think it should be much closer to his money line, which has him as a considerable favorite here. So plus 120. If you want to go for it, I would go with the submission side over the knockout. There's a chance that he hits him, almost knocks him out, and finishes with a submission. There's not a very good chance that he gets an armbar, breaks his arm, and then knocks him out instead. You know, it doesn't really work the other way. So I see that as more likely, and they're lying pretty close. Lopes my Lopes by submission, my favorite round robin piece this week. Uh, just wanted to throw that out there. In terms of money line side, though, I might lean towards Tucker. Tucker probably the more skilled fighter, uh, more technical. He's just old, and he got knocked out cold on the first punch of his last fight. I bet that fight to go to a decision, by the way. I remember it very vividly uh, against Danny Gay. Um, but yeah, I, I think Tucker's probably the better fighter, but Lopes is so dangerous. I don't know how you don't play his inside the distance prop. He, it's going to be the most fun spot of the night, betting Lopes to win inside the distance against the guy who's old, who has never seen this level of submission grappling after landing a takedown before. So yeah, Lopes is really fun. And that's Tucker, kind of the, I think the, 
the way we should play fights like this with those jujitsu slash aggressive striker styles because it's not good for winning minutes. They're taking big swings on the feet. If they don't land, it kind of looks like they're getting outpointed. And they're also happy to play off their back or work for submissions from bad positions, which, you know, even though we've gotten better in terms of judging that, you're still not winning just by being on your back and guard, throwing up triangles while a guy hammer fist you. So if it works, it's great because you get the finish. If it doesn't, you probably use the lose the decision. I could even see, you know, a case for Tucker decision and then Lopes. I got to remember that it's Lopes and not Lopez. It feels so backwards, but Lopes inside the distance, Tucker decision also makes some sense if you want to hedge your risk there. Not sure if you mentioned the size advantage too. Five inches taller, six yep. inch reach advantage, eight years younger. So all the physical tools on Lopes corner uh, got hit really hard in his last fight and probably should have gotten finished multiple times by Avoyev as well. Uh, so the under might be good here. But yeah, if, if I'm picking one of the two to win inside the distance, it's Lopes. And uh, as you said, Tucker, probably more decision equity. Uh, total rounds propped. Uh, two and a half rounds under is juice to minus 126. Yeah, under Angle. might be good. Not betting it, but that's probably the right side. Tucker, 37 years of age. Lopes, 28. Two zero Lopes point about the age discrepancy. Yeah, 37 okay. in the 135-pound division coming off of a long layoff after an immediate knockout loss. A lot of red flags. You, you can't get me to bet an older guy who's also less athletic. Like they just, you can't make me do it in any way or another. I'll, I'll deal with either one of those attributes going against you, but not both. It's just too much. We try to be fair about age on this podcast and we use it to our advantage when we have to. It's perfect. Uh, I'm the biggest ageist in the world is someone who went back to training a little bit in my thirties and knows how different it feels than it did 10 years ago. Like I see a guy hit 32, 33. I'm like, he might as well be 80. So <laughs> stick it to him, Billy. Stick it to him. Um, okay, best bets or final bets. You'll be able to tell how they feel about them once they deliver their uh, their best bets. Zarillo's going with a fun name for his best bet. What do you got, Sean? Yeah, going with Dennis Bazooka on the money line, another underdog that I like on this card. He's not the best fighter, and I think you can see that by the <laughs> fact that he fought twice on Dana White's contender series and was not signed. Lost his first fight, won his second Virtually everybody who won their fights on last season, the contender series got signed to the UFC, except for Dennis Bazooka and just a handful of other fighters. Normally, you don't even need the finish anymore to get signed, and they still didn't sign him. The reason why I like him for his UFC debut against Sean Woodson is what we've seen from Bazooka in his recent regional fights is a willingness to grapple. He's the younger guy. Um, he's well-trained. He trains under... Ray Longo, is, we brought up in the past, recent fights, Nazim Sadikov, uh, Mirab Devashvili, Matt Frivola, Aljamain Sterling. There's a lot of good guys in that 135 to 155-pound range in that training room that Bazooka is training with. He's much smaller. He's at an eight-inch reach discrepancy, but Sean Woodson is one of the most consistently, reliably bad grapplers in the UFC. He's a great kickboxer, makes great use of that reach, but he's had a ton of time to improve his grappling and he still hasn't done it. So Bazooka primarily, I think people see him as a striker and I think that's why the line is where it is, but he is all of the grappling upside in this fight. 100% of the grappling upside in this fight. Won his last two wins regionally on the mat, one via ground and pound, one via rear naked choke, as I said, he comes from a top camp, but a camp that also devises very smart game plans. I'm assuming he's going to be grappling here from the outset. I trust the camp. 
I trust the deficiency in Woodson's grappling being exploited here. So Bazooka plus 155. As I said, he's not the best fighter, but I know he's going to try hard. And I'm, I'm assuming he's going to try very hard to grapple. So that's all you want when you're betting plus money. Uh, I think there's an argument that this should be closer to a pick based on the grappling upside. You know, Billy, that kind of started as a final bet. Then I like, well, wait a minute. Maybe this is a best bet. And then it kind of went back to final bet status at the end there. So yeah, my, my best bet is the the Klein Bahamodes goes to decision. Uh, but, you know, in, in terms of the the three dog money lines I mentioned, uh, Bazooka, definitely the one I prefer amongst those three. Um, and then I'm actually on the other side of Billy's bet, best bet this week. So I didn't I didn't want to uh, outright ah. go against him. But uh yeah, uh, we're on opposite sides on Billy's best bet, but I'm curious if he has any thoughts on uh, Bazooka. I, I'm curious to hear them. Yeah, I, I didn't really get to that fight just because not a ton of tape on Bazooka's contender series was a while ago. That that was an A-plus best bet read, though. So I, I'm convinced, <laughs> like, just from start to finish with the he's not that great, but here's why. Just just tremendous trust, work. Trust the camp, man. Like, this is one of those things that I'm from Long Island. I've been around long enough to see ray longo's fighters overachieved just just trust the camp here that's it and that is a terrific segue into my best bet which actually is my best bet on jeremiah wells because one thing i'm gonna do is bet on every henzo gracie philly guy that you give me an opportunity to in the u.s because <laughs> when we talk about trust in the camp i think they won like 12 straight when Sabatini, Wells, and Brady all got to the UFC. Petrovsky's overperformed his expectations. Wells is four and oh other than I, we got Sabatini's flash knockout against Damon Jackson, and then Brady lost to Bilal Muhammad. I think they're undefeated outside of that. I don't know who officially counts as in the camp or not, so I don't want to go too into the woods. But yeah, and that's Jeremiah Wells this week. I thought this line was going to go the other way when he opened it like minus 155 or so. He's now, I think he can get as good as minus 125, which is just absurd to me. He's minus 122 right now at FanDuel. Okay. He's more, he's just more skilled than Carlson Harris, I think, across the board. Neither of them are great technical strikers. Harris kind of throws weird angled, like chopping down punches. Wells makes the mistake of leaping in with his strikes, and that catches him where his footwork gets bad, and that's when he gets hurt. We saw it both times in the Matthew Semmelsberger fight. He wasn't really getting like beat technically with a striking. He would jump in with a punch, land square, like in more of a wrestling stance, and then get caught, and his balance was all messed up. But then every time, while half unconscious, he was still able to take down one of the best athletes in the division in Matthew Semmelsberger. It was a weird fight to judge because Wells got hurt and then dominated the grappling, which we don't really know how to score. I think judges do a good job of rewarding how Wells gets his takedowns more than other people's. They're all extremely violent. He doesn't drag you down the way a wrestler does. He drives his shoulder through you on his you know, shots. Also mixes in some good trips and throws and stuff that have some pretty high impact. I love his top game. He does a really good job when he's on top, not giving any space, following your hips. It's really hard to get back up against him. I also think the Semmelsberger fight dispelled some of the myths that he has bad cardio because he dominated that third round despite being nearly unconscious on multiple occasions. Harris, probably a slight, slight edge in the striking. Harris is a good grappler, but he's got like a tall man grappler game where he waits for you to shoot, then locks up front headlocks and either spins behind or gets anacondas, darces, that kind of thing. None of that's going to work on Wells. Wells is just an elite jujitsu guy who's not going to be caught with those things. And they're both a little bit old. They both, I think, only have four fights in the UFC, but they're 36. So that's not really a factor either way on these guys. And finally, I just think Wells has a massive athleticism advantage. Like when he hits people, they just melt. 
where Harris, he's knocked some guys out and he hits kind of hard, but he hits hard because he's winging weird punches from angles where Wells just has that natural power. I ultimately think this is going to end up in a grappling match though, which Wells grab. I don't know if there's a welterweight that I would take over Wells in a grappling match right now, like in the UFC period. So against the lower level guy. <laughs> Hamzat's not a welterweight anymore. He's he's going up. I'm not counting that. Shavkat. Shavkat maybe. That might be the one. Yeah. But, but so just, you know, we like guys who have the grappling edge. I think the the striking is not much worse than a coin flip if it's much worse at all. And I'm 4-0 betting Jeremiah Wells' money line, so I'm not going to stop now. a boy, Billy. a boy. Jeremiah Wells is one of Billy's featured fighters, undervalued fighters on his UFC luck ratings. Right up this week over uh, at Action Network, actionnetwork.com. All right. Good stuff. I thought, you know, an underwhelming kind of show possibly because of the, the big weekend we just had with the, the boxing and UFC 291. But man, I think people are going to be excited to bet on UFC Nashville after that uh, that particular podcast recording today. No, like standout, amazing Gaethje Poye fight on this card, but there's a lot of a lot of solid fights top to top to bottom. There's not many bad fights on this card. Every fight on the prelims, I thought, wow, I can't believe that's not a main card fight. Yeah. And then you got up to the main card and you're like, but none of these jump out either. Yeah, like it exactly. seems like you could shuffle this order in almost any way and be like, yeah, no, those are all about it, right? It's, it's 11 featured prelims in a main event. Yeah, there you go. Love it. Okay. Find Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward in the Action app. Should they add anything live during uh, the festivities in Nashville or anything leading up to uh, Saturday? That'll do it. Brendan Glasheen signing off. Thanks to David Payne, our audio producer today, getting us up and running. For those guys, Brendan Glasheen, thanks for tuning into the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Thanks for checking out our UFC betting preview. We'll talk to you again next week. See ya. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.